Loving Father, we pray that as we come to your word, uh, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds and show us again and again the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus. And we pray that we would respond with repentance and faith. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Thanks, Rosemary, for reading that. The challenge for Rosemary, of course, was all those tricky names. And uh, she did really well. You can know you're reading history when the names are difficult. Uh, did we do history at school? Mum wanted me to do history, but of course I, I didn't. Uh, do we learn history because the past causes the present and so the future? Is that right? Well, let's have a look at Luke chapter 3 because the Apostle Luke wants to give us a dose of history. Verse 1, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of uh, Iturea and Trachonitis, sounds like a disease, and Lysanias, he sounds sick too, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, and on it goes. They do sound like illnesses, don't they? But here we see names and places. You even get a timestamp for Caesar. Uh, governors uh, like uh, Pontius Pilate uh, get a mention. Uh, Herod the Great's sons, both uh, Philip and Herod Antipas are here as well. Uh, and notice also... We go from big to small, uh, from Caesar and his governors, and we're zeroing down in history to the temple priest Caiaphas is a name you might already know. Um, have I mentioned that I've been to his house? I have. Yeah, you can still go and see Caiaphas's house. What they've done with upstairs is terrible. It's unrecognisable. It's a church, of course. Uh, because underneath is the dungeon where uh, they believe Jesus was locked up when he was arrested when he went to see Caiaphas before he went to see the governor. There's history. There's history. Ah. So the geography, this is about the year 29 AD. That's how specific these, this information is and that's how detailed the Apostle Luke is. Which means that you can know the geography and the archaeology and these historical figures, these people etched into our history, they all show a substantial correlation and consistency with what we find in the Bible record. You can know this is history here on your laps. And we can read this knowing that we're engaging with real people in real time, in real history. Uh, see that the land is ruled by Rome. We need to see that this morning. And so someone asked, well, what have the Romans ever done for us? Apart from the sanitation, the medicine, the education, the wine, the public order, the irrigation, the roads, the fresh water system, public health. What have the Romans ever done for us? Someone said, peace. And then someone replied, shut up. But anyway, Israel longed for God. Not the so-called divine Caesar, who pretended to be God, but the one true God of Israel. 
They longed for their God to appear and to rule again. In fact, Luke extracts a prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 40 that speaks of God's reappearing. You can see it there in verses 4 to 6. Get a load of what it looks like. Uh, verse 4, as it is written in the, in the book of uh, the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the roadway smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That's a comprehensive list, isn't it? Uh, the imagery here is fairly standard fare for the ancient northeast world. Uh, it describes the clearing of the way, a preparing for the arrival for the entry of a king or a god. And see the work there, straight paths need to be made, a valley is going to be filled, mountains levelled, roads smooth and straight. Uh, when royalty comes to Sydney, well this doesn't quite happen, but even from Inverell we know that there are changes and disruptions, detours, changes to traffic, roads directed, uh, obstacles uh, aren't removed, but actually they're created. Uh, and it's also that the royalty can have safe and expedient passage. But look at this list of works. How do you reckon council would go trying to pull this off? Literally moving mountains. <laughs> Get it done before June 30, is that right? Uh, can you imagine the headache it would be if your name was Pontius Pilate and Caesar decided to visit Judea? Be, oh, gee, I wish you wouldn't. But this isn't Caesar coming. Here again, it is the one true living God. And so immediately, see how subversive this is to the reader. Because Luke is telling his readers, as he outlines all those who hold power, from Caesar to Caiaphas, Luke is saying, you know, someone bigger, someone more powerful is coming. Bigger than Rome and all its power and glory. Bigger and better than the temple system even and all that it offers. See that God is going to inject himself into real time, into a real place, among real people, in real history, the one true God is going to appear and no obstacle is too big, no obstacle is insurmountable, nothing is too hard, just as Isaiah promised. Just as Isaiah promised. In fact, Isaiah chapters 40 to 66 uh, contains uh, similar imagery quite a number of times. But I want you, if, if you can, keep your finger in Luke chapter 3. Flick back with me to Isaiah 57. Will you do that? Isaiah 57. I don't often ask you to do this, I know, but just this one, just this one time. Okay, maybe I will ask you again to do it, but anyway. Isaiah 57 verse 14. I want this open on your laps so that you can see. It really grabbed me. I hope it grabs you. But as we have that, Luke has cited Isaiah 40, 
And then here in Isaiah 57, it, it will be said, verse 14, can you see it? Build up, build up, prepare the road. See, council's on it again. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. Uh, is that, that's just like Isaiah 40, isn't it? Prepare, make way, fill the valleys, lower the mountains. Remove the obstacles, Isaiah 57 says. Well, do we remember the Exodus story? Were there obstacles in the Exodus story? We saw the small, just a small matter of Pharaoh and his army getting in God's way, kind of, chasing, chasing God's people through the desert towards the Red Sea. And was the Red Sea, oh, oh yeah, the Red Sea, was that an obstacle? Yeah, just a small obstacle. Such that Isaiah, uh, Israel, like, well, what do we do now? We're trapped. And what did God do with that obstacle at the Red Sea? Didn't he, didn't he turn, didn't he part the sea? And didn't he turn the sea into a highway? Isn't that what God did? Isn't that the song of Miriam? That God parted the waters, he prepared a path, and then for good measure, well, the army got swallowed and Israel were redeemed. That's the story, isn't it? Do, do you think there's anything that can get in the way of God delivering and rescuing those he loves? Is there anything that can interrupt his plans? Is there, are there any obstacles that are too big or even too small for our God? Can you see the determination of God determined to show up, to show up that he clears the path and that he deals with the obstacles? so that we can enter into his salvation. Do you see how big God is at this point and, and the gravity of what Luke is trying to show us here? And I wonder, do you believe that? I, I, this is gobsmacking. And this is why Christmas is good for us. Because at Christmas... As Israel hoped for another Moses, we need to be redeemed, we need to be saved, rescue us. At Christmas, that first Christmas, God does in fact appear in history. That first Christmas as a baby in a stock trough. Can you see that now? And, and in Luke's gospel, who is it? that sees the baby in the manger first? Who comes to see the baby in the manger first in Luke's Gospel? It's the, the shepherds. It's just the regular, everyday working people. And it's at night, and they see God in, a straw, in the straw. And they lay eyes on God. And were there any obstructions to that? Now, now think about it. There's, there's no temple curtain in the barn, is there? There's no holy of holies. There's no priest to stand in the way. There's no blood sacrifice. There's no temple steps to, to ascend. There's no walk to the old city. No one stopped them. In, in fact, the angels told them to go there. You're invited. Go and see God. Go and see salvation. 
And those shepherds lay eyes on salvation for the world. Can it be any simpler? And remember, this is the appearance of God in the world to the lowly. Now, I hope you've still got Isaiah 57 open, because have a look at verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, uh, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. See, that twice we are told he is holy. And who does this exalted, holy, holy God from above share his, pace, his space with? Who, who is it? Verse 15, it's with, the, it's with the lowly, lowly. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, and to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. And now can you see God in a barn with the shepherds? And Jerusalem, verse 15, the highest and holiest of cities. What, who does Mary show the baby off to in Jerusalem? Do you remember Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to Jerusalem, don't we? And there are two old people, elderly people there. Yeah, and Simeon, old Simeon, he takes the child in his arms and he praises God and he says, Oh, good father, at last I can die in peace. For what has his eyes seen? His eyes have seen, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight for all nations. What a thing for him to say, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. I love Simeon, he's gold. In the sight of all nations, he said, for all to see. That's Isaiah again. Again, there are no obstructions. Again, nothing is too hard. Could it be any simpler as God's salvation appears? Salvation, he said, has come to the one, come in the one we call Jesus and in Christ all those obstacles between humans and between God they are dismantled and they are removed the path is made clear the valleys are filled the mountains are laid low the path is straightened and now we see Jesus we see God's salvation for all people and the question, of course, this morning is, do you see that? Here he is for all to see that very first Christmas. Do you see that God does his part? God does what he promised to do. God comes to us. He comes to the world. And that is what Christmas is about. God has come to us in real time in real space, among real people in history, just as he promised. And of course, the catch is we have to reckon with that. We have to reckon with that. We have to do business with that. How do I know that? Well, let's look at John. He's carrying on, John the Baptist. With John the Baptist, we'll come to him now, 
He's another injection of God in history. As God calls John in the wilderness, verse 2, to do again that which predicted, uh, was predicted in Isaiah 40. He is the voice. He is the voice that calls out in the desert. He is the voice that calls out to those whose hearts are lowly and whose hearts need to be revived. He is the one calling people to contrition and repentance and a humble disposition of spirit before God. That is his task. Can you see it there in verse 3? Right in the middle of our text. John the Baptist, he went into all the country around the Jordan preparing a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written, there's a fulfilment right there. And so again, see God doing his thing again. He acts, he speaks, he calls, he fulfills his promises. But how does God's people ready for themselves for God's appearance in the world? What is, if God has done all this and we have to reckon with this, well, what is our part? And the answer, of course, isn't roadworks. Right? We don't get our high-vis vest on and get the crowbar out and travel to Jerusalem. Larry's saying, thank goodness for that. We don't have to do that. But we, it's the stuff of Isaiah 57, verse 15, I think, that John the Baptist echoes. It's to be the one. Remember who God shares his space with? To be the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. It is to be the one who acknowledges their need to be revived, that without God, their hearts have stopped. They need to have new life breathed into them. By this holy God. And so John's baptism is a call to people to repent. God is going to turn up people, so you need to turn around. That's his message. This is get ready or else kind of stuff from John the Baptist. He says, do business with God. And verse 7, you will flee the coming wrath. It's a very serious message. God is coming. And of course, coupled with his arrival, coupled with salvation, is, verse 6, salvation, is this idea of wrath and judgment. Verse 7, we can't escape that. And the way to flee the coming wrath of God is, of course, to be on the side of salvation, verse 6. And to be on the side of salvation means to be on the side of forgiveness, verse 3. And to be on the side of forgiveness and salvation is to be on the side of Jesus. That's who John the Baptist is pointing people to, Jesus. That's his job. And to belong to Jesus is to be evidenced by a life of repentance. There's that word. 
Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. We all know it. It's not a song of repentance. It's the opposite. It is a song of arrogance and pride. The, song is, the words of the song are unrepentant. I did it my way. It's the most requested popular song at funerals in the UK. My way. Did you know that in Filipino karaoke bars, it's the song most likely to get you killed? New York Times report. It's a true story. It is the ultimate up yours everyone song. And it's not how one prepares to meet God. Where we sing, I'm on the my way highway. I'm the captain of my life. I decide what's good for me. Repentance is the opposite. It's to change your mind about that and to change your heart and to be brought low and humble and contrite before God. It means we start caring less about oneself and we look around at those beside us. And ultimately, it's to live a life that seeks to please God. It's to turn from pleasing ourselves and to live a life where we seek to please God. And so it's a heart thing. It's an inward thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a turning to God in all of life's compartments. The carol sings, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room is a song about repentance. You're asking God to do that work in your life where he fills your heart, where you receive him, where all the obstacles are gone and cleared out of your heart and you receive, you make room for the king to dwell in your hearts. But it's not just a room it's a house as he comes to us fully. Are you making room? Are you making room? The call to repent was the number one hit song of the Old Testament prophets. It was a hit song of Jesus too, incidentally, and John the Baptist. And by the end of Luke's Gospel in chapter 4, Jesus will tell the apostles to preach it as well. The same song, Repent. It's a song that we still need to keep singing to each other every day. Why do we need to repent? Well, did you hear that God has appeared in history? And God in Christ Jesus... He has removed all the obstacles between you and him. And he has given it all. And he has done it all. Uh, he has come. Uh, God has done his part, make no mistake. And the only right response for us 
to a God that gives so much, the only right response for us is to repent, to turn away from that which Christ Jesus died and paid for, and to turn to God. See, in history, God meets our needs. In history, God has removed the obstacles between us and him, especially in the birth of Christ and his life and his death, of course, and his resurrection. But Jesus was not born for nothing. And no one here would say that Jesus died for nothing. No, he died for our sins, such as our need. And as he died, the temple curtain was torn, the way is opened up, and God's wrath is turned aside. And the barrier of sin between rebellious man and this holy God is demolished and smashed. And it means that we are wiped and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The obstacles are gone. And now we hold on to this guaranteed promise of forgiveness. As his spirit comes to us such that we are revived. New life is breathed into us. We have hearts that beat for him and him alone as he dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And now we live as people at peace with God, characterised by love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, thanksgiving and self-control. And it all shows itself in a life of repentance. Someone said, forgiveness without repentance is like drawing in the water. And for those who believe, those who have in Christ received God's forgiveness, the fruit, the evidence, is found in a life of repentance. A life growing in Christ Jesus and a love for him. And such is God's love and goodness. We see God did it. And we are called to respond in faith and repentance. Note, we repent not in order to be saved. We repent because we are saved. Because we are the redeemed people of God. And now like John the Baptist in the wilderness, we bear witness to the appearing of God that first Christmas. And we do it in real time and real space and real history. At Christmas, the second Sunday of Advent, we say God has come to us. And he's come to us personally. Salvation has come to us. God in his love has cleared the path to forgiveness. There is no barrier between us and God. His spirit is with us. Eternity has been secured. So let me tell you about it. For this is good news. See, what more can God do to demonstrate his love for you if he's destroyed all the obstacles? What more can God do? 
Do we see at Christmas the baby in the manger that God is completely and utterly for us? That he seeks our infinite good? And so the encouragement again this Advent is to bring yourself low and to recognise one's need and to live a life of thankfulness for all that God has done for us in Jesus. Amen.